0: And uh, if you did not listen to part one, part two is not going to be very helpful for you, okay? So please, if you missed part one, go listen to part one or watch part one. As a reminder, um, uh, you should begin your doctrinal statements this week, and you should begin reading the drama of scripture. So please start those. If you have questions about the drama of scripture, or the doctrinal statements, you can bring them to our zoom next zoom Q A or our next in person class or you can email Caroline and or myself and we'd be happy to help provide you with examples or answer questions that you might have. So we are going to jump into part two of this lecture. And so let me share my screen with you. right. We're going to jump into part two here. And in part two, we're going to be discussing the covenant with Abraham. But before we get into Genesis 15, which is where we'll be talking about the covenant with Abraham, Genesis 15 through 17, I want us to focus in on asking a broader question. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? And I'm going to give you a couple of definitions here. Okay, I want to begin with a broad definition. The broad definition I would give you of a covenant is that the co- that a covenant is the means by which God elects to be in relationship with him, with us. So covenant is the means by which God elects to be in relationship with us. You might call this a revelatory perspective on covenant, or covenant as God revealing himself, okay? So I know we've talked about the doctrine of revelation, but one of the crucial things for you to understand is that when God reveals himself, he does it by way of covenant, covenant fidelity, covenant loyalty, and covenant is one of the central ways that God tells us who he is. In many ways, the revelation of his name to Moses in the book of Exodus, Yahweh, I am that I am, is a name, Yahweh, that is indicating that crucial core to us understanding who God is, is understanding that he is the God who keeps and cuts covenant. He is the God who is faithful to himself and faithful to his covenant promises. Um, Timothy Ward, um, in his book, Words of Life, he talks a little bit about this. uh, The covenant and therefore the human words in which the covenant is given expression and enacted are the means by which God elects to be God in relationship with us. It is the very means by which he comes to be God for us. So, this is a broad definition of covenant and truthfully, it's not the definition of covenant that we most often think about or most often use the, that one would be the narrow definition, which is here as well. So a narrow definition on covenant would be covenant is the way God has chosen to secure the salvation of his people. God saves his people. This is a much more kind of typical normal again, narrow or application-driven perspective on covenant. Um, John Murray, who was a very significant covenant theologian, he defined a covenant as a sovereign administration of grace and promise. I think that's helpful, a sovereign administration of grace and promise. Um, Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam um, define a covenant as this. This is me paraphrasing them. Uh, and they introduced two other terms when they think about this bilateral and unilateral i'll talk about that in just a moment a a covenant is a promise in which god obligates himself to his people through divine initiative god breaks into human history to reveal himself and to enter relationship in the terms of an oath with his people now a unilateral covenant is a covenant and by which god is the um he is the one who ratifies the covenant and all the obligations are on him and all the benefits are on the people okay uh, that is a unilateral covenant. A bilateral covenant would be one in which there appears to be some level of, of reciprocity or if then conditions. If you will do this, then I will do that. So that would be bilateral. Unilateral would be, I'm going to do this for you and I'm promising that. You, you with me? Okay. So in the covenant that God makes in Genesis 15, we see an unfolding of God's plan of redemption. It, it's inaugurated in Abraham, and it's fulfilled in the promised seed. And in Genesis 15, we see that it's sealed by God. Now, before we get to Genesis 15, it's important to just give you really maybe just a high-level overview of all the covenants that you might find in the Old Testament. Okay. Um, now, not all of these covenants are the same, and I think that that is important to know. Not all these covenants are the same. The first would be the covenant with creation in Genesis chapter one, uh, that God, this is a often considered to be uh, a pre-creative covenant. It's the covenant that God makes with himself. Sometimes it's called the Trinitarian covenant, which is essentially that God out of the overflow of His delighting love. He creates and he creates humanity and he places them in the garden to cultivate and subdue. It's sometimes called the covenant of works um which was fine you might say that there are really only two covenants in the bible at a very 30,000 foot level the covenant of works in the garden and then the covenant with abraham or the covenant of grace in genesis 15 I, i that's just cards on the table i don't know where caroline lands on this i accept that there are only really two what we might call federal covenants One of those is the covenant of works in the garden that is broken by Adam and Eve's disobedience. And the other one is the covenant of grace, which is inaugurated in Abraham. That's my vantage point. All these other covenants, in my mind, they flow under those covenants. So, The covenant with creation, the covenant of works, covenant with creation is in Genesis 1. You see the Noahic covenant, also a covenant with creation in Genesis chapter 9. I would see this as what I might call a prevenient covenant. It's not a pause, but it's a bit of an interlude before we get to the covenant with Abraham. Um, Some would say that the covenant in Genesis 9 is a reissue or a reinstating of the covenant of works. God has judged the world, remade the world. He places Noah and his family as a a new family, in a world remade, and that the covenant of works is reinstated in Genesis 8 and 9, and then it's broken again as Noah once again eats from the fruit of the tree and ends up naked and ashamed. That covenant is broken, the world cycles out, and then you get to Babel and then to Abraham where the covenant of grace is instituted. Well, regardless of how you kind of envision these, covenant of works covenant of grace gets into genesis 12 in the story the call on the covenant with abraham now i take every covenant following the covenant with abraham as a further unfolding of the covenant of grace meaning that we have the covenant that god cuts with abraham which we're about to dive into in genesis 15 we have the covenant that god makes with moses which we'll get to here in a couple of weeks i would see this as underneath the covenant of grace so to the davidic covenant which caroline will cover in a few weeks and then the new covenant which is the promises made about the coming messiah uh, which is fulfilled perfectly in jesus so this is kind of an overview of covenantal history but let's get to what we're looking at today in genesis 15. three things you have to see about the prom- the promise the covenant promise in genesis 15. the first is that it's inaugurated in abraham the covenant in Abraham is the second explicit mention of a covenant in Genesis, but it's really an unfolding of God's original purposes in creation. God had purposed that he would have his people dwell in his presence, in his place, reflecting his purposes to the world. Now, Adam and Eve broke that covenant with God, and so too did Noah. But with Abraham, this is kind of more of an explicit unfolding of that original promise or Hope. Now, when we look at Genesis 15, and I think probably now it would be good for me to just read this to you for a moment. So let me read Genesis 15, and I'm going to read, you know what, I'm going to read the whole chapter. That's going to be a lot, but I, you can follow along with me. Here we go. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So some of you are like, well, I'm glad that we're done with all those ites. Um, Yeah, that's a mouthful. I get it. Um, But this is incredibly important passage here because in Genesis 15, we are getting a perspective on covenant that is radical. It is a radical perspective on covenant because God is doing something in Abraham, something that will only be fulfilled in the promised seed. But this is the kicker in Genesis 15. This covenant is not sealed by abraham and it's sealed by god and let me tell you this for any ancient near eastern listener would have been absolutely mind-bending because this covenant kind of formula was something that was very common very um known this would have been something like um some of the symbolism around a wedding people would have known abraham would have known and have seen what covenant cutting ceremonies were supposed to look like because God, in his kindness and grace, is uh, is taking a form of covenant cutting that Abraham would have been familiar with, and he's turning it on its head. You see, it's part of the kindness of God's accommodation to us and how he reveals himself that God uses forms that we understand to tell us who he is and what he is doing in the world. And this is one of those times where if you once you see it, you can't unsee it. So let me talk to you a little bit about the ancient Near Eastern custom of covenants, and specifically what we might call Hittite treaties, because Hittite treaties are the form and formula of covenant cutting that we find in Genesis and Exodus. In these ancient Near Eastern covenant ceremonies, what would happen is the higher party, sometimes called a suzerain, okay because these covenant c- cutting ceremonies were sometimes called suzerain vassal treaties now i know you're getting a lot from a fire hose here but let me explain it to you and break it down in the ancient Near East imagine you're an incredibly powerful regional presence okay you've got a strong tower uh, you've, you've accumulated some land you maybe have a big family you've hired a lot of servants you have a lot of livestock i mean these all would have been pictures of power you have wealth and you probably have kind of whatever the best of the rudimentary weapons that are available, you have those, okay? not sponsored by Gatorade if you're watching, but I will take a Gatorade sponsorship. So imagine that in the ancient Near East, you have a, uh, you're have you one of these powerful kind of regional presences. Well, there are all these people in the surrounding area that might be subject to roving thieves or other warlords or people that wanna steal what they have or just the kind of dangers of living in the ancient Near East. Well, what you might do is you might approach one of these kind of regional Powerhouses and say, Listen, I would like to make a covenant with you. And they would say, Okay, we can cut a covenant together. And that ceremony would have looked very similar to this. It would have involved sacrifices. And the ceremony worked like this there would be some sort of formal bilateral agreement that takes place. Uh, the regional power presence would say, listen, you know, in the event of uh, famine, I'll give you some food from my warehouse. Uh, in the event of violent threat, you know, I'll send some of my, you know, sons or nephews or whatever out to protect you. You will have some access to, you know, these strong fortifications if you need. Um, but in exchange, you're going to do some things and then you might say, okay, well, I'll give you a share of my crops and uh, I'll pledge fealty or loyalty to you. And in the event that there's ever a war, I'll fight on your side. You you might be familiar with this kind of thing from like medieval times, Uh, not medieval times like the, (laughs) (laughs) Not the medieval times down in like downtown Dallas. I mean, like when you think about medieval movies, you think about these large kind of Royal Dukes or, uh, you know, uh, duchesses or regional rulers, stewards, Lords, um, who have large kind of outcroppings of land and some weapons and some power and everybody kind of, uh, listens to them, right? You, you can maybe think about that. But in this ceremony, it would have been very different because in most of these covenant cutting ceremonies, do you know who walks through the severed sacrifice? It's not the higher party, okay? It's the lesser party. And essentially what happens is uh, my covenant to you, imagine if I'm the higher party and we're making a covenant cutting ceremony, you're the lesser party. What I would be saying is that I will do to you, if you're, if you're obedient to me, and if you keep your side, I will do to your enemies what has been done to these sacrifices. But if you are disobedient, I will do to you what has been done to these sacrifices. Now, that's the stakes are high there. That, that is definitely a picture of a bilateral covenant, which is like, listen, you're, if you're with me, then great. You're going to be very well protected. But if you are against me, well, then uh, watch out because I will do to you what has been done to these sacrifices right here. But is that what happens? Who goes through the severed sacrifice in Genesis 15? Well, let's look at it again. I'm trying to pull up my notes here. What what happens here? Well, Genesis 15, verses 17 through 18, let's read it again. Excuse me, verses 12 um, through 18. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there, and they will be affected for 400 years. Wow. You know another time when Israel was sojourners in a land for 400 years? There you go. That's Egypt. This is a little bit of prophecy here. They're going to be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They're going to be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now, just let me stop here. This is all fulfilled, almost down to the details, and the great possessions. Israel plunders Egypt's gold as they leave town. So this is an incredible, I think, prophecy that we have here, just a picture of it. So I just think that's really cool to point out. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age. Isn't that nice? Uh, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. More on that in the Mosaic lecture. Now listen, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, what happens? Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these uh, the, these pieces, the severed sacrifices. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land. Now, this is an incredible reality because the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch are who? Well, they're visual representations of Yahweh. That's what's happening here. These are symbols. We've already talked about how, and we're gonna see all throughout the Old Testament that fire and smoke are typically visual or symbolic representations of Yahweh. And he's the one that goes through the separate sacrifice. This is, guys, let me tell you something. If you had been in the ancient Near East, this would have been absolutely mind-blowing for you. Absolutely mind-blowing. Because in Genesis 15, do you see what God says? God tells Abraham here, if you obey the covenant, all the blessings will be yours. But if you fail to obey the covenant, I will take the curse of death on your behalf. He's saying, listen, if, if if you obey the covenants, you get what only I deserve. But if you disobey the commandments, I get what only you deserve. That's a crazy thing. And what grace is that? I mean, God is telling Abraham, if you listen and obey, you get what only I deserve. You get my presence in this place with a great people and a great name reflecting my purposes to the world. And if you disobey... What happens? I, I, Yahweh, I get what only you deserve, which is what? The curse of death, the severed sacrifice. Listen, if Abraham had been a Bob Dylan fan and you had asked him, how have you been brought into covenant relationship with God? He might've answered, I paid in blood, but it wasn't my own. I paid in blood, but not my own. You see, God's covenant with Abraham is the rolling out of God's plan to have his presence in the midst of his people as they extend his purposes over his place. In Genesis 17, we see this play out as God begins to provide the way in which Abraham is to walk before him. This is what it looks like, right? Presence. God will dwell with his uh, His people by binding himself to them in covenant. God is saying, I'm going to dwell with you by binding myself to you in covenant love. This is unconditional, and it's grace-motivated. It's a covenant that extends to the generations, and it's attached to the promise of the land. You see, the land represents God's fully realized promise to dwell with his people. That's what the land represents. The, the, The promised land is hope of returning to the forgotten garden." And he, this is what he tells him in in chapter fifteen, verse seven. He he repeats like I told you he would from the call of Abraham in Genesis twelve. In Genesis fifteen seven, he tells him, "I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans. I brought you out of your pagan past. Why to give you this land to possess? I have brought you here to exist in my presence, to reflect my purposes, to be a blessing to the world, and to live in this place with me." And in Genesis seventeen nine. We get a picture of it. It says what? It says in chapter 17, verse 9, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. God is going to give Abraham a people. You said we told you at the beginning that the story of scripture can be summarized that God delights in having his people live their whole lives in his presence to reflect his purposes in his place. And in the call of Abraham, we heard it repeated in the covenant with Abraham. We hear it repeated and it's incredibly significant that God is promising Abraham place and people he's telling him this promise is generational the hope is that God is going to make the offspring of Abraham into a great nation that will bless the world. And the reality is this, it would not be the sons of Abraham that would perfectly fulfill these promises, but instead it would be the son of Abraham through the line of David, after, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, one who could say before Abraham was, I am. That's who would perfectly fulfill these promises that God gives to Abraham in both covenant and uh, call. Um, N.T. Wright says this, the Abraham children are God's true humanity, and their homeland is the new Eden. See, what is God doing with Abraham? Well, it's it's what was meant to be done in the garden, but what's the difference now? The difference is that in the garden, they were under the covenant of works. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, they got what they deserved, but in the covenant of grace disobedience will not take the rails off of God's purpose and promises because when they disobey, God takes what they deserve. See, this is the gospel of grace and it is the covenant of grace. The covenant with Abraham, as all covenants in scripture, is the way in which God is establishing his kingdom, his kingdom that will be brought to completion in the son of God, son of David, Abraham. Abraham and his chosen Offspring, this offspring who would come to crush the head of the serpent, who would come to make right what sin had made wrong. This God in the flesh who would take upon himself the punishment for sins, who would become the severed sacrifice, that through him, by entering into God's presence, through him, we enter in, as Hebrews 10 says, with confidence, why? By the new and living way that he has opened up for us, that is through his flesh. The severing of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the way that we enter into the promises of the covenant of grace that are covenantly sealed in Abraham and perfectly fulfilled in the son of Abraham, son of David, son of God, Jesus Christ. So I hope that helps you get a bigger perspective or a broader perspective on covenant and maybe a, a more detailed perspective on specifically the covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna stop now and then we'll get into part three. Um, if, you, uh, if you have not started reading drama of scripture, please start reading drama of scripture. Or uh, And or uh, start your doctrinal statements. Those things need to get moving. If you need help, please let us know. Um, what we're going to do is uh, in the third part, we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of covenant participation. Because when I think about, the, uh, when I want you to think about, when you think about Old Testament believers or Christians, I want you to think through the phrase covenant participation. That if we're going to find ourselves in the Old Testament, the best way for us to understand that is as covenant participants. All right? So that's what we're going to jump into in part three. Let me stop sharing the screen right here.